On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. Because agriculture, as we know, can only occur where the conditions are appropriate for it. And you hope that infrastructure will locate itself in proximity to that. Getting products to customers is challenging enough, but when infrastructure fails, it has a devastating effect. We'll talk with folks working to prevent that. We know we need a good night's sleep to be our best at work the next day, but few of us actually get that good sleep. And you'll hear about a Northwest Iowa renewable energy company that is partnering with a college campus to help it meet its goals. This is the Iowa Business Report for the final weekend of June 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. The Soy Transportation Coalition is made up of the state soybean boards of Iowa and a dozen other states, as well as the American Soybean Association and the United Soybean Board. Those states are responsible for 85% of total soybean production in the U.S., and of course, Iowa's production is tops in the country. But all that production is for naught if there is not a cost-effective, reliable, and competitive transportation system in place. And all that directly relates to Iowa's economy. Mike Steenhook is executive director of the multi-state Soy Transportation Coalition, based in Iowa. Farmers increasingly understood that to be profitable, it's not just a function of growing a crop and having demand for that crop, but you have to have connectivity between supply and demand. This is an area that farmers understood needed to be upgraded and needed to be more of a point of emphasis. So the Soy Transportation Coalition was created to make sure that the needs of farmers, particularly soybean farmers, in terms of transportation are more effectively conveyed and articulated and, and promoted. And that includes our rural roads and bridges, our highways and interstates, our freight rail system, our inland waterways and our ports. Each of those links in the supply chain are very critical to the profitability of the soybean farmer and they need to be one of those priority issues. So what are some unique challenges that soybean producers have as opposed to either other commodities or just some challenges that the common ordinary person who's not involved in agriculture that we may just not understand exist? Well, one of the things that's unique for agriculture is other industries like manufacturing, they have more of a luxury to be able to locate themselves in proximity to infrastructure. So you locate a manufacturing plant, uh, you get out the map and you locate where your customers are and, and where efficient modes of transportation like an interstate or a highway or a freight rail access point are, and you locate your plant in proximity to infrastructure. Agriculture, in contrast, they hope that infrastructure locates itself in proximity to agriculture because agriculture, as we know, can only occur where the conditions are appropriate for it. And you hope that infrastructure will locate itself in proximity to that. So that's really one of the unique challenges for agriculture. For soybeans in particular, clearly other agricultural commodities and industries highly value infrastructure as a part of their profitability. But what is unique about soybeans is that when you look at the pie chart, 
and you see where soybeans are ultimately consumed, over half of that pie chart will be labeled as international. And you have much more of a international consumption of what's produced in the United States. So therefore, it puts added pressure on infrastructure to be able to connect with those customers halfway around the world. You know, when your customers are located next door, infrastructure is not as important. But when when your customers located halfway around the world, then a lot of pressure is put on those roads and bridges, the the freight rail system, the inland waterways and the ports to be able to ensure that our industry is profitable. I dare say, and you folks have talked about this, and so there is public awareness, but Despite that, I dare say many people listening to this conversation are not aware of the intricacies of that farm-to-market process that you just talked about. And so it's not just a matter of saying, well, county road such-and-such needs to be repaved. You're concerned with bridges over the Mississippi River. You're concerned with what happens when there's a bottleneck halfway around the world. This all factors in to profitability for Midwest and, in particular, Iowa producers. Yeah, you know, for those farmers in Iowa, you can define them as international entrepreneurs. But intuitively, you would think that would not be the case because farmers located in Iowa are 1,500 miles away from our export regions, our port regions of the United States. So why are farmers located in the middle of the country? Why are they able to engage so effectively on the international marketplace? Well, it's because you have this multimodal transportation system that can really accommodate those movements and those volumes. And one of the things that we've really tried to convey over the years is really broadening the perspective, particularly among our national leaders, about what an effective infrastructure strategy is, what our nation indeed needs. Because the temptation among lawmakers, when they think about transportation challenges, the temptation is to think about urban congestion, long commute times. They often don't think about the challenges and the inefficiencies of moving freight, including the freight that originates in rural America. So that's certainly one of the points of emphasis for the organization. Now, we've heard a lot about, quote, infrastructure coming from Washington, and you hear people agreeing that we need a certain level of infrastructure. The devil is in the details about how you define that, but what you're really focusing on here, I dare say, is what most people would agree is infrastructure. It's roads, it's traffic on rivers. As an organization, what role have you been able to play in this national conversation that has taken over this part of 2021? Well, we've really tried to to focus on what are the areas where Americans can find broad bipartisan agreement. And most Americans do believe that infrastructure promotion is a legitimate exercise by the government. And they more specifically believe that infrastructure is defined by things like roads and bridges and our ports and our inland waterways, our freight you know, beyond transportation infrastructure that can also extend to things like our electricity grid, drinking water facilities, rural broadband, those type of things. Once you start departing from those categories, though, there becomes less agreement. And the concern I have is that despite all of this aspiration by both Republicans and Democrats to do something on infrastructure, the concern is some of these more controversial topics are getting added to it. And when that happens, the probability of success goes down rather than up. And I think there is a bipartisan win that's on the table 
for both Republicans and Democrats. And I, I would strongly urge them to embrace this opportunity because something that certainly can be done to really advance this nation, particularly our economy, but it requires them to come together in a bipartisan manner. From just the Iowa standpoint, we've seen various reports over time that have said Iowa's infrastructure has some issues, perhaps pretty significant issues. And of course, we heard about the bridge in Memphis that they've known for years was unsafe. So focusing on what folks in the state of Iowa can do, we've got those national fights. What about the status of things right here at home? Are we better positioned, shall we say, as a state than some of the other states that you have direct contact with? One of the benefits, I guess, is we have a lot of water that flows through our state with small river tributaries and rivers and streams and whatnot, which can help provide very fertile farm ground. The negative is that you have to have a lot of bridges that cross those little streams. So you have counties that can easily have 200, 300 plus bridges in a single rural county. As a result, we see one of the challenges for Iowa is managing these rural short span bridges, we always are toward the top in the number of bridges that are problematic. Now we are making progress. We've provided more funding as a state toward our bridge inventory and that number of deficient bridges is going down, but that's gonna remain a challenge for the foreseeable future. One of the things I will say about the state of Iowa is compared to some of these other states is there is more of an openness to innovation and employing some new methods for addressing some of these challenges, particularly as it relates to rural bridges. One of the things I repeatedly contend is that we can't just spend our way out of this problem. We also need to save our way out of this problem. We need to make the taxpayer dollar stretch further. And we can't pin all of our hopes on government providing a big enough check to meet all of our needs. So there's a lot of innovative approaches to replacing bridges, to repairing bridges for concrete asphalt maintenance that can make the taxpayer dollar stretch further. We're promoting a number of these initiatives ourselves in order to make sure that you are providing notable cost savings, but you're also not compromising safety. And those are the, the real critical things, but we need to be more open to innovative approaches and we can't just simply pin our hopes on more money. The question I like to ask is, do we want to be a country that consumes from the rest of the world or do we want to be a country that produces for the rest of the world? And the good news is that we've got this production capacity represented by America's farmers that's on the continual increase. And the good news is that we've got this growing demand for what farmers produce. But you again, you have to have that connectivity between supply and demand. And if you don't have that, then the transaction never occurs and profitability will never occur as well. So having that additional link, emphasizing that is really critical. And so when you have these kind of successes and you're able to find more effective ways of connecting farmers with their customers, domestic and international, is something that's, that's really important work to do. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. We spoke via Zoom on Wednesday, June 9th. Learn more online at soytransportation.org. Still to come, numbers to support what we all know. We don't get enough sleep. And in our business profile, a future with wind and or solar. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. 
The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Next Generation Leadership Group, preparing family business members for executive-level responsibilities and ownership. For more, go to the Family Business Center tab at AdvanceIowa.com. We all know how important a good night's sleep is to our well-being. We're more productive, feel better, and are healthier when we get it. And yet, a new survey shows that 62% of people are not getting regular good sleep more than half the time. And a majority, 54%, agree that sleep has an impact on their ability to work, socialize, or even complete basic tasks. There's a gender split, and perhaps not surprising. Only 23% of women commit resources to sleep while nearly double that amount, 42% of men do. More than a third overall, 34%, say the primary cause of lack of sleep is the trouble they have quieting their mind as their heads hit the pillow. Here's a disturbing finding. When asked in a typical week how many nights you say you get the sleep you need, 22.6% of us say we never really get the sleep we need. And more people say sleep affects their mental health than anything else. The survey was conducted by Invisibly, a personal data protection company. Coming up, a business bringing renewable energy to the campus. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Iowa Family Business Center by UNI, sponsors of the Tour, Lunch, and Connect with the Fairway Family event in Boone on August 19th. Learn more by going to AdvanceIowa.com. A recent news release about a unique renewable energy partnership caught our eye. It's between Trusted Energy, a company based in Storm Lake, and Grinnell College in central Iowa. The scope of the project is impressive, so I made contact with the president and CEO of Trusted Energy, Rob Hawk. The easy answer to why did I get started, I followed my dad around. My dad started in in wind in 1977. We were farming in northeast Iowa, a town of Volga, Iowa. Not really a town much more anymore with Austin Post Office, but farming and he looked at the fact we just got done with our second energy embargo and said hey the government's not going to fix this we're going to have to take this on and get our own independence by ourselves and so he started with wind in 1977 and has raised all of his kids in the wind industry so that question's easy i was born into this industry more or less why did i start this company in 2002 Well, I started it because I was an Enron employee. And if anyone remembers Enron, I really didn't have a choice of the matter. And I had just married a beautiful farm girl from Stone Lake area. And that was kind of a challenge. Do I move away from this farm family and all the roots? Or do I set up shop and start working in the wind industry on my own? And so that's what we ended up doing, running our company out of Storm Lake, Iowa. Renewables, one of those things is it's predictable. You know what you're going to have. You don't have a lot of variability. You might have variability in the wind and the solar, but all the input values, the input costs is not variable. So it's very predictable compared to some of our other resources that we get right now. 
a lot of folks that I talk to, they do wind or they do solar. I don't find an awful lot who have that combination, that skill set. How unique is the company in terms of embracing multiple forms of renewable energy? It is unique. There's not a lot of modeling. There's not a lot of banks that are familiar with this. So you have to be a little bit more creative in putting everything together. So the challenge is there when going out and financing these projects. But the value to the utility is a lot better because wind in the summertime is low and doesn't produce as much wind energy in the summertime as it does in the wintertime. And then the inverse from solar, solar produces better in the summertime than wind. So they're very complementary the two different resources. And again, as a layperson who does not have a deep scientific background in this, the negative of one is offset by the other. And so by having both, what you're doing is maximizing the potential of each and minimizing any downtime. Correct. Solar does not blow at night. And so it doesn't provide much generation in the evening hours when they're still load. And so they are very complementary. So Trusted Energy has a project in Powashee County, as I understand it. Talk about this Grinnell project and how that fits into your overall plans. It is a great project. We were introduced to Grinnell in 2017, started the conversations, and then signed our contract with them for the generation off of a solar array with them in June of 2019. And then we had to go through project financing in order to get the construction money and then the operational capital. So took a little time and then of course COVID slowed the project down last year. So the site now has been surveyed again and the gravel has been brought out. So they're starting construction and there's activity that's that's going on at Grinnell. Now this is a way I suppose for the college itself to control some of its costs and also make the commitment to renewable Is this something that you're looking at as potentially a model that other similarly situated entities might adopt? Yes, we are seeing that this is becoming more common. Luther College did this a few years ago and has been very successful at it. Grinnell, the student population is really adamant about going carbon neutral. And this is a significant step forward for Grinnell on achieving that goal. They want to be 100% carbon neutral by 2040, and this is a significant step in that direction for them. And this will, in fact, be, as I understand it, the largest privately owned solar project in the state of Iowa. How much land, how much real estate does this take and convert that, based on this project, into percentage of need for the college? They're not going to be entirely self-sufficient with just your project. No, correct. They are still going to be buying from Alliant Energy, and this will offset 30% of the electric load and 18% of their carbon footprint. And so it, it does have a good impact. As far as the real estate, we are using some farm ground and converting that farm ground from corn and soybeans to electricity and lambs. So we are going to be putting sheep out to maintain the vegetation and, and all the, the soil so we don't have the weeds that will come up underneath it. So it will come out of corn and soybean, but will still stay in farm production. So as you look at the future of this over the next 5, 10, or 15 years, are you anticipating there will be more projects 
like the one with Grinnell, like with, I believe it's the Albert City Schools, or is it going to be more individual homeowner-based? Where's the greatest growth going to be? I see more colleges and schools looking at this. We're talking to more colleges and schools because competition is high right now for the students in order to be able to decide where you're going to enroll your children. And so if you're finding a school district that is being progressive and an easy way to show that you're being progressive is to have a solar array on your campus or on your school. And that's a good way to be able to visually show parents that, hey, we're with it. We are current with the times and the reality of what's going on in the world. And so they're going to have a lot better time attracting those students to their school district or to their campus because they are being progressive and integrating the latest technology to their campus. And again, a question lastly that is born out of ignorance. Is the greatest potential with solar or with wind Or is it really apples and oranges, and so your answer depends on the project and where you are in the state? The greatest potential, yeah, is apples to oranges because solar can be plugged in closer to the source, and that's what we're doing with Grinnell College. We're running a 3,500-foot extension cord from the solar project to the campus. If it was going to be wind, the extension cord would have to be several miles because solar does not have some of those permitting and zoning requirements that are required with wind and with setbacks, you can plug solar in closer to the electric load, closer to the need. Rob Hawk is president and CEO of Trusted Energy, a full-service renewable energy company based in Storm Lake. More online at trustednrg.com. We spoke via Zoom on Wednesday, June 16th. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of the daily edition of this program heard on many of these same stations. We're also found on all the major podcast distributors, some 19 now in all. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.